0: Hello, everyone. This is Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Now, this week, we'll answer the question, why do victims of relationship violence go back to their abusers? Now, according to a CDC survey, one in four women and one in nine men are victims of physical or sexual partner violence or stalking. And in same-sex relationships, the numbers are equivalent or even higher. But no matter who's caught in the complicated and misunderstood cycle of relationship violence, outsiders wonder about both sides. First, why would anyone hurt someone they love? And even more puzzling, why would anyone go back to a partner who hurts them? Friends and family shake their heads— bite their nails, and throw up their hands. Get out now, we say. You don't deserve this. And why don't you just leave? If only it were as simple as just leave. This week, we'll look at the complicated reasons people go back to their violent partners and also dive into the nitty-gritty of how abusers manipulate their victims, even to the point of convincing them to recant criminal charges. But first, let's start with the big brushstrokes. So it used to be thought that people went back to abusive relationships simply out of fear. They were too intimidated to leave, they were financially dependent, or the partner threatened them into staying. And these are all legit. Fear is a huge factor, but it's not the only force in play. Aside from fear, let's look at four additional reasons partners stay. So, reason number one is unequal power. And this is number one for our reason. An abusive relationship is fundamentally about power and control. It's about breaking down the victim's self worth and agency in order to control them. So, power is taken and reinforced by making victims ask for money, controlling where they go or who they talk to, making all the decisions for the couple, and more. Abusers want to ensure that leaving isn't an option by fostering the victim's belief that this is all they deserve or that no one else would want them. Reason number two is manipulation. Now, abusers are often smart, charming, and magnetic, all traits that feed into master manipulation. They know how to pull people in, both the victim and those around them. And as we'll see later, this manipulation Includes tactics like saying the abuse wasn't that bad, denying it ever happened, saying the victim started it, or discrediting the victim as crazy, emotional, or otherwise not credible. A victim might start to wonder if they're wrong or making a big deal about nothing, all of which makes it harder to walk away. Reason number three is hope. This is another big one. We humans instinctively hope for brighter days ahead and victims perpetually hope that things will get better. The reality, of course, is that victims can't stop the abuse. Only an abuser can decide to stop. But in a relationship where victims may pride themselves on having the magic touch, like being the only one who understands, or the only one who can calm the abuser down, there exists an illusion of control. And within this illusion, giving up hope for a better future would mean that they failed. In this culture, we're told never to quit, to hang in there, that anything can be accomplished if we set our mind to it. And that is a tough dream to reject. Leaving the relationship means acknowledging that things will never change. It means giving up hope. And reason number four is love. Love is complicated. Relationships have good times and bad, and the good times can be a powerful glue. Love is the ultimate connection, solidified by months or years of time spent and energy invested. And it's absolutely possible to be in love without being safe. And in a society that tells us love is all you need or love conquers all, it can be hard to walk away from a life you've built together, even one that's not safe or healthy. All in all, love and hope, especially when paired with power and manipulation, are tough to push against. So even when victims find within themselves the courage to leave, press charges, or otherwise stand up for themselves, it's common to get pulled back in. Okay, so how exactly does a victim go from vowing to leave to defending the abuser, even in extreme cases? Well, a team of researchers at The Ohio State University wanted to find out. Now, few cases of relationship violence ever reach the court system, but when they do, up to 80% of victims later recant their allegations. But why? So to find out, the researchers listened to recorded phone calls made from prison where a male perpetrator was being held for felony-level domestic violence against a female partner. Crimes like assault, violation of a no-contact order, or unlawful imprisonment. The researchers listened to hours and hours of phone calls between 25 different couples and discovered a framework. There emerged a distinct pattern consisting of five steps. Step one was standing up for herself. Now, the first call or two usually began with an argument where they blamed each other for what happened, but the victim stood up for herself. So, here at the beginning of the cycle, she is strong and resolved and she resists him. But then in step two, which is minimizing abuse and shifting the blame, her strength and resolve start to wear away. And this happens with three techniques. So first, he minimizes the abuse through outright denial, or convincing her it didn't happen like she remembers. Like, I didn't push you like you think I pushed you. With one couple, the victim says, they think my cheek is broken. And he replies, I'm really sorry, but I didn't even do anything. In the next tactic, he shifts the blame. He tells her that she was actually at fault and that he is the true victim. So for instance, one abuser noted, do you realize that before anything happens, I just try to go and you don't allow that? I came in peace. I didn't say anything. You were drinking. Finally, the abuser portrays himself as a victim of the justice system. In one case where the abuser suffocated his partner and bit her face, he kept reminding her that he was being charged with felony assault and insisting he didn't deserve such a serious charge. Okay, then step number three is appealing to sympathy. And this, the researchers found, was the key. Victims were most vulnerable when abusers spoke of their own suffering. Perpetrators threatened suicide, broke down about the horrors of being in jail, talked about missing the victim or their children, and talked about how much they are hurting without the love of the victim. And this is where victims moved from anger and resolve to guilt, regret, and attempts to soothe and take care of the perpetrator. In a key pivot, the victim becomes the caretaker. Next comes step number four, united together against the world. So next, the couples talk about what binds them together, how they need to keep their family together, how to maintain their relationship. They remind each other of the good times and what a future would look like with one partner in prison. Now, to solidify their partnership, couples talked about how it was them against the system or them against their families that no one else understood their love. One couple played a Dave Matthews band song over the phone and reminisced. Another agreed to get matching tattoos. And then finally, in step five, instructions to recant, the abuser asks or instructs the victim to recant. When she agrees, they develop a plan to change their stories. They work together, united as a team. And the stories grow vague, turning into, no one really knows what happened anyway. It was all kind of a blur. One victim decides to say, a no contact order is totally not fair because we didn't want it. We want to be together and we have a family. We have children. In one case, the abuser even asks the victim to do five to 10 days in jail for lying to police. He says, You can't do five days for me? Would you rather me sit here for 60 to 90? Regardless of how the recantation comes about, where there was once anger, blame, and resolve, now there is love, excitement, and hope. It's an addictive mix. This might be a window into the most egregious of manipulation, but it shines a light on why people go back to their abusers in less extreme cases as well. All in all, it's both simple. And extremely complicated. It's simple because everyone deserves to be safe in a relationship, and it's complicated because we need love so vitally that some of us find it at the expense of our own safety and security, while others mistake it for power and control. If today's episode resonated with you, resources include the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 7233 or thehotline.org loveisrespect.org, the GLBT National Help Center hotline at 1-800-246-PRIDE, or the GLBTQ Domestic Violence Project at glbtqdvp.org or 1-800-832-1901. Thank you so much for making the Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. If you have already picked up my book, How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety, I say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you enjoyed it, consider leaving a review on Amazon, especially if like so many reviewers, it helped you make genuine, effective changes in your life and leave social anxiety behind. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week, and I will see you here Next Friday and every Friday for a happier, healthier mind.
1: Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches Podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. TheAnxietyCoachesPodcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.